Hi, and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. We pray that God uses Dean and his guests to inform and inspire you about the EPC and how God is working in and through our global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Thank you, Rachel Joseph, as always, for those kind words of introduction. Grateful for you and grateful for all of you who have chosen, wherever you are, to listen in to yet another conversation of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And we welcome you. You could be doing a lot of other things with your time today. So whether you're going for that walk around the park, you're on the the riding bicycle, or you're on your way to work, the fact that you've chosen to listen into this conversation today is a gift to us, and we hope in turn it's a gift back to you. If you're not from the EPC family of churches, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church is a, a group of about 660 congregations around the United States and the Caribbean, and we are Evangelical, Presbyterian, Reformed, and Missional congregations. And our mission is that we exist to carry out the Great Commission of Jesus, which is to go into all the world, starting in our own communities and to the ends of the earth, making disciples. We're called to be disciples who make disciples, and hopefully those who make disciples. (laughs) And we're going to talk a little bit about discipleship today. We're going to talk a little bit about what a healthy church looks like. We're blessed to be joined today by someone who's been in the EPC for just a couple of years now. Ron Horgan is the church health coordinator for the Presbytery of Gulf South and resides in Houston, Texas. And he's been in the EPC for a while. So Ron, welcome to In All Things. Thanks, Dean. It's great to be with you today. All right. So for those who don't yet know Ron, we look forward to you hearing his story and learning more about him and more about the EPC. But before we do, today's episode of In All Things is brought to you by the gospel priority of transformation. Transformation is code language inside the EPC for church health because only transformed leaders can lead transformed churches and only transformed churches can plant other transformed churches which have other transformed leaders it's an interesting cycle but at the end of the day if a church isn't healthy it's not going to be bearing much fruit and in the epc we define church health principally as being a great commission congregation if a congregation is carrying out the great commission we think there's a really good chance that they're going to be reasonably healthy. And of course, the Great Commission, which is a call to make disciples, includes and is built into this idea of evangelism. And the evangelism tool that we use in the EPC is called the Three Circles, based on Jimmy Scroggins' book of turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. We have to date trained over 3,000 people in the EPC to share the good news of Jesus with their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, and their family members. And we are seeing God use that in important ways of bringing people to himself. And that is what I call emphasizing the E uh, in EPC, because after all, we're called to be the evangelical Presbyterian church, which means we share the gospel. All right, well, let's dig into your story, Ron. You've been in the EPC how many years now? I got into the EPC in 1994, 
was ordained in 1998 and have been in the EPC since then. So kind of 30, not quite 30 years. Okay. So you, before you became a pastor, you were an attorney. Right. All right. So give us your, give yep. us your journey. How did you, I mean, beside wanting to be like John Calvin, how did you end up going from there to here? Well, fortunately I didn't have the experience of Martin Luther and getting knocked off a horse and deciding then to go be a pastor. But I'm one of those guys that was practically born in church. I mean, I, I grew up in a good Bible believing church. There really never was a time that I didn't know that I was a sinner in need of a savior. So you'd be what we would call a covenant child. I, I would have been, yeah, absent the infant baptism part because I was raised in a, a more interdenominational setting. But when I was 10 years old, some friends of mine invited me to their daily vacation Bible school at a Baptist church. And of course, at that point, a lady asked me if I'd ever received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And How I, old are you at this point? 10. 10. And I... I don't know that I've ever really done that in my life. And so she insisted that I should pray the prayer. And I was glad to do that and continue my life. In high school, uh, I typical of high school guy, I did kind of make the decision as to whether my faith was really my faith or my parents' faith and really, really laid hold of faith as, as my own at that time. And I had a really great time in a, in a Christian church and, and a music group and those kind of things. Went to college at Oral Roberts University. and That's where you got your Reformed theology. Yeah, it just, yeah, close. Actually, it was, it was very interesting because I, I went to ORU. I had never been exposed to any of the whole charismatic things. So it was very new and very What, what took you to ORU? Well, believe it or not, I barely graduated from high school. Hmm. And... Uh, you were a late bloomer. I was a very late bloomer. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I started looking at college options, and because I didn't have really stellar grades, I didn't have a lot of options. But I, I looked at uh, Wheaton College and couldn't afford to go to Wheaton College, right. where all my really smart friends went. But Oral Roberts University was cheap. I wanted to go to a Christian school because I'd been raised in a really, a, a really Christian home, but a really pagan school environment. So it sounded really cool to go to a Christian college. So I, I showed up at ORU in the fall of 1972 and, and started to meet some folks. We looked. That was, uh, that was like the Jesus movement, right? That was the Jesus movement. It yeah. was pretty exciting. Did you have, did you have long hair? I couldn't. Oh, or you wouldn't let it? No. Yeah, it had to be high and tight up off the ears, right? It was off the ears. Yeah, right. I forgot that. Ties to ties to school. Right. I actually had a clip-on tie. It was, was a, by the end of the year, it was the nastiest thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an experience. But there, some friends of mine and I were, were looking for a church, and we couldn't really find a, a good church there. And one of the guys was was reading. Of course, we were all reading Francis Schaeffer at the time. Oh yeah, I early seventies. Yeah. yeah, we had to learn to speak Schaeffer, and it yeah. was pretty torture. Dreams of going to Labrie. Yeah, but at any rate, one of the guys in our group said, "You know what? There's a there's a, a an RPCES Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod Church in Tulsa, and Francis Schaeffer is a member of that denomination." And so we said, well, if it's good enough for Fran Schaefer, it's certainly good enough for us. Okay. So off we go, these six guys in this car to this little bitty church called Christ Presbyterian Church, where there might have been 30 if everybody was healthy. 
Yeah. And you so, increased the, the, the attendance by 50% when you walked in the door. And the scare factor. Uh-huh. Like these six guys from ORU walked in and, you know, it's kind of like lock up the silverware. Who knows what's going on? <laughs> so we got there, sat there, and I heard this guy preach something called covenant theology. He preached for 45 minutes. Yeah. I had never heard anything like that, Mm. but I was really hooked. It was great. It was awesome. Mm. And one of the elders was brave enough to come up and introduce himself to us. And he not only introduced himself, but he invited us to go to Sleepy Hollow for lunch. And and at that time, they had a lot of blue laws still. There were not a lot of options for restaurants on Sundays, but Mm. Sleepy Hollow had the best, best fried chicken or a, a great steak. And you could have either one. And he said, come on, y'all be my guest. And so we went to Sleepy Hollow and he bought our lunch. He bought our love. We accepted Calvin and moved on. <laughs> so it was great. And so then we were involved in that little RPCES church. It later merged with the PCA. And then later on, I was called to an EPC church, to Christ EPC in Houston, Texas. Um, so, you know, I... I'd been in college. I thought about having now had good grades. I met in with the wrong crowd and kind of bought the books and studied and all this and had these really good grades. And I had to explain to my mother that the dean's list that I was on was a lot different than the principal's list. She uh-huh. kind of knew my me to be on on occasion. But with good grades, I had options and started thinking, do I want to go to seminary or do I want to go to law school? And as my wife and I uh, thought about it, said, you know, I don't feel the call. I really don't feel the sense of calling. And I bet you could be really miserable if you went to become a pastor and didn't really feel God's call. And so That's good we decided, yeah, so we decided to go to law school. See, now I'm not running from God. I'm not hiding. He, he knows where he can find me. If I make a mistake, he can redirect me. So I went to law school, University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner. <laughs> and ended up practicing law for almost 15 years. What kind of law? Civil trial work. Okay. A civil trial lawyer. I tried a lot of lawsuits. It was great. Had a lot of fun. It was exhilarating. Uh, but I... That's good preparation for preaching. It uh, When you're doing what I did, it, it becomes really serious at times. But eventually, my pastor friend had gone gone to Uganda a couple of times to preach and teach and said, oh, Ryan, you got to go with me. You get, this is the best thing. We go for three weeks. These people will listen to you preach and teach God's word all day long. They don't have cable TV. They don't have a lot of distraction. They will listen to you. And so I went and I really was hooked. I really began then to sense God's call. So in some ways you're calling from vocationally going from being an attorney to a pastor happened on a trip to Uganda. Yeah. Wow. It did. It right. did. And and at that point then I I kinda the kinda knew things might fall into place. And my my pastor friend, who's one of my closest friends in life, had gone from Tulsa to Christ EPC and they were looking then for an executive pastor. And, you know, being a he called me and asked me if I would be interested in being a good Calvinist. I knew a coincidence when I so I wanted to sell off. I went to Christ EPC. And- well, and as an attorney, I mean, you have to have a fairly organized mind. 
uh, especially if you're going to do trial work. And so administrative pastor, you probably had a good skill set to fit that. But it was one of those deals where, as Professor Kingsfield says in the movie The Paper Chase, when you come into law school, you come with a skull full of mush. And when you leave, you turn into a lawyer. And and I, I really think that God really used my time at ORU and then my training as a lawyer to turn me from a skull full of mush to someone who really... That's what Grove City College did for me. I came in with a skull full of mush and I came out a disciple of Jesus. So. Yeah, yeah. So it was my skill set was, was there and got to go to Christ EPC and was ordained through the extraordinary clause, probably because I wasn't smart enough to go to seminary and do all that and had three kids and everything. So went there and uh, then was ordained in 1998. Okay. And uh, been, been well, in the EPC. Well, you're a good case for the extraordinary clause then because God has used you in a lot of different capacities in the EPC, right? I mean, not just as an executive pastor and a pastor, but you were on our board of benefits for a long time. You were the, I don't remember what the term that the Presbytery of Mid-Atlantic used to call the mission mobilizer or the the missional leader. Well, well I was I was the missional director. I was this I was the stated clerk though. Right. And my good friend brother Bucky Hunsucker was the missional director. Okay. And so together we worked and really had a great time serving yeah. God there. And I think, honestly, Ron, I think, you know, I don't, not to disparage any of our other presbyteries, I'll have strengths and weaknesses and all, like every organization of the church. But in many respects, the Presbytery of Mid-Atlantic, which is now multiplied, always careful to say that, into three New Rivers, Coastal Carolinas, and Central Carolinas, all have, I think, the most original missional DNA of the EPC from its founding. Like you, you find it in those presbyteries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had, you know, Howard Shockley, St. Howard, as he's yeah. sometimes called. One of the best stated clerks yeah. ever. Yeah. He really helped instill that DNA in all of us. And so then when Howard went to be with the Lord and I somewhat took Howard's place, although nobody will ever really take Howard's place, then we continued in the same vein. And then as it became clear, we were just too big. We were about 106 worshiping communities, churches, church plants, and that. And North and South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, a little sliver of Tennessee just to get one more NASCAR state in the, the group. And it was just too big. Uh, although we were having a lot of fun and God was doing great things, uh, we decided we needed to multiply and uh, worked on that for a couple of years trying to figure out how that would work because we're driving much too far to a meeting. And so we wanted to all be closer and we wanted to be relationally closer too. And so when we finally drew the lines to get enough big churches in each of the three groups, it kind of looks kind of funny, but it but it worked out well. And as I see now, the, the new uh, presbyteries really do continue the DNA that was very much Atlantic. Yeah. One of the one of the great gifts that Howard brought that you'd carried forward, I see it in our uh, chief parliamentarian up garment, is this idea that the polity really exists to serve mission, right? right? It's not about how do the rules so much prohibit you from doing things, but how do they act as a set of guide rails, right? It, it keeps us from going off into bad stuff, but keeps us really on the pathway towards gospel ministry. And 
Howard was always looking for solutions. He was always trying to figure out how do I help you get where you need to go in order to get the gospel going. Yeah. You know, and that approach to polity is actually pretty unique in Presbyterian circles. I mean, many people use polity like a hammer to basically keep you in line or to keep you from doing something or to act as a means of, of guarding a more rigid culture and ethos. But not Howard. Howard had this idea that this helped us figure out how to do God's mission. Yeah, that's really true. My my DNA is that I like to be organized. I like for all that to work, but only so that it, it frees us up to really do what God has called us to do. And so, yeah, so the DNA that Howard instilled in us and really is in the three offshoots of the P PMA is, yeah, how can we serve God more effectively? How can we streamline the bureaucracy yeah. so that we can we can serve? Well, and you and Bucky did a great job of carrying that forward. I remember, I think, may have been my first Presbytery meeting as a stated clerk. I attended the last meeting of the uh, Presbytery of Mid-Atlantic, and I had the chance to be with you guys for dinner and just to hear the labor of love that you guys poured into those missional communities. And now to see that carried into three Presbyteries, or each really getting after it and doing great things. That's a huge gift. I mean, we, had, we had a lot of fun together. I say sometimes we, we had a lot more fun than Presbyterians could admit to have. <laughs> and we did. And well, we did. I, he will remain nameless because he's fairly famous in Presbyterian circles. But a number of years ago, a well-known Presbyterian from another denomination spoke at our General Assembly, and he leaned over to me and he said, Dean, you know what I call the EPC to the friends in my denomination? I said, no. He said, I call them the enjoyable Presbyterian church. <laughs> Amen. I was like, well, that's not too bad. I think I'll take that. So, well, in this season of your life, you and your wife uh, in this third season have decided to move across the country back to a place that you're familiar with, but to be closer to your grandkids. And anybody else might just like say, okay, I'm moving back to Texas. I'm going to be near my grandkids. But you, you haven't hung up the, the EPC cleats yet. You're, you're still on the field playing for us and scoring some touchdowns. And you find yourself now as the church health coordinator for the Presbytery of Gulf South. Talk to us a little bit about what is a for those who are listening in, maybe they're new to the podcast or new to the EPC, and they don't know what a church health coordinator is. Could you explain that a little bit? <laughs> well, that that is a, a great question, and it's 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 a question we're we're working through still. It's it's uh, fairly new. Yeah, it's a really new position. You know, you you all in the national leadership team had the wisdom to realize that. We really need to put our money where our mouth is and to put our resources into championing the need for church health. You know, we like church growth. We like church planting. We like it. We like it all. But we really need healthy churches because as you guys like to say healthy churches plant healthy churches and plant healthy churches and, and we all grow together. So so the church health coordinator is a position created by the General Assembly and then funded by the General Assembly and the Presbyteries. That's a cooperative thing. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, and, and that's really exciting. And, and what it does is it, it focuses resources on the mission of, of building church health. And so we really want to work in the area of evangelism. And so I, I'm involved with our Presbyterian doing some evangelism 
seminar so we can kind of champion putting the E back in the EPC. And so we'll do a church evangelism weekend for a church or a group of churches. We work in the area of church health. Uh, we call it refocusing to help churches really think about what they're doing. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? If this course you're on continues for the next five years, what's it going to look like? And and really, really want to challenge every church, whether you're big, small, whatever, to think about how does God want to express himself through our church at this time and in our community? And like I say, that's a question that every church ought to be asking itself and every session ought to be asking itself that question every couple of months or once a year or whatever to just think think critically about why does God have us here? What does he want us to do? And how does he want us to get it done? Who Who is it that God wants us to reach? Because the Great Commission is still for us today. Yeah, I mean, that's a question for Christians to ask themselves, right? I mean, being healthy at my age and at your age is a little different than what it was to be healthy a few years ago because no living organism stays the same. It, it's always changing or growing or not growing or and you want to ask those kind of good questions so that you still have vibrant fruitful life to offer and that includes churches and many of them the communities around them have changed yeah over the years so being able to reach those folks with the good news of jesus may take some different strategies than before well, let's dig down on one of those tools in particular uh, you mentioned a couple of them but let's talk about the refocus seminar exactly what is that how would a church benefit by going through the refocus seminar what would be you know if, if you came in and met with a congregation and you were trying to convince them that this would be a, a good step for them to consider how would you approach it well i think i'd want to first ask questions and listen because we're not about a cookie cutter approach right we have some we have some thoughts and we have some ideas some general guiding principles right. but the contextual application is going to look different right yeah yeah and so the, the question is where are we at right now where does god seem to be moving in our area who are people that are far from god right now who are the unreached people in our area what can our church do to reach folks and so if our church needs to refocus, the first place to start is what is our mission? Uh, yeah, and we, we don't want to get bogged down in mission statements and all those beautiful documents that many of us spent many hours on. Sitting on a shelf put, collecting yeah, dust. Put that nice, yeah, right. nice book on the, on the shelf. What are we doing? Let's get on a mission that we're actually doing rather than right. just writing. That's kind of exciting, right, though? If you say to your church, it's not our church has a mission, we're on a mission. That has a different energy to it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And rather than what does God want to do to us, what does God want to do through us? Right. And, that, and that's another key thing. So we so we want to focus on what is what is our mission, and then what do we need to do to get it done? We want to look at developing uh, a vision team so we can identify God's vision for us. And then at some point, that vision team will will morph or will uh, change into a, an action team. Let's again, let's not just write great documents or think high thoughts, but let's do something. And so then we want to implement the plan. We want to reach people who are in our community, but 
if they died tomorrow, would face a Christless eternity. Mm. So we want to make a difference that way. Right. So the two things about refocus that strike me as being super important, Ron, one is it begins a process, especially for churches that are either inclined or declined. You know, they, they hit the plateau and maybe are starting to, to drop off a little bit. It gets them, number one, focusing outward. Because a lot of times when churches are inclined or declined, they start facing inward. And they say, well, what about us? What do we need to do? What, what is our issues? What are our problems? But it starts looking outward at who are the people in your community that you could be reaching for the gospel. And so they're beginning the process of thinking less about themselves and more about the people who don't know the Savior, who are placed in proximity to them, right? And then the other thing about it is the assessment is really a self-assessment, right? It's not you guys coming in as these experts from on high telling people, you know, this is what we see. You put them through a process where basically they self-assess. Is that right? Right. Yeah. That's And that's one of the keys is that, uh, yeah, if a church is in incline, everything is up and to the right, they're going good. If, if they're in recline, then it's comfortable. Uh, if they're in decline, then it's not comfortable. But but you're right. We we do uh, self-assessment. When we come in and we, we talk about what we found, it, it's a telling of what you told us, you told us. So yeah, so then they, don't, they can't look and say, well, that's not us. That couldn't possibly be us. Well, it is. You told us this. Here's Here's the paperwork yeah. and that. So uh, let's not argue. Let's just talk about how we can help you to be more of who God wants you to be. You probably have heard me say this because I'm a bit of a Max Dupree guy, and he's famous for saying the number one job of a leader is to find reality. And that self-assessment helps define reality for them so they can see themselves clearly because every church thinks that they're a friendly church, but are they really a church with biblical hospitality? Every church thinks that they're strong in missions, but are they really discipling disciples who make disciples to the ends of the earth? So most of us want to think well of ourselves. We may know that we haven't had a lot of incoming new growth for some time. And maybe if we just prayed a little harder or preached a little firmer or did more of the same with greater degrees of concentration enthusiasm, not realizing perhaps a self-assessment looking seriously at, at, at where they are, especially in their community, could begin to a whole new level of ministry in terms of how you bring the gospel to their, their own Jerusalem. And then of course, Judea Samaria and the ends of the earth. Yeah, well, that's right. That's right. And in the, in the Gulf South, I ran the the numbers to see how many people came to faith in Christ in the last two years. And in our presbytery, uh, last year, the number was 115 converts. Unfortunately, 47 of those came from one church. Okay. So we're not exactly knocking the ball out of the park when it comes to leading people to faith in Jesus. So so either we can lament and weep and talk about how terrible we are or how that's just not true, or we can get to work and, and find ways to to share the gospel with people. And that's why we're we're trying to train our folks in as we used to call at least pre evangelism, teaching people how to have conversation, listening listening to what might be being said by someone about their struggles. Yeah. And then 
hopefully eventually guiding them to talk about using the three circles. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, you know, people are less inclined to canned presentations, gospel tracks, the uh, crusade approach. Today, uh, if you want to reach millennials, you want to reach Gen Z, almost anybody, honestly, it's much more about relational evangelism. So it's building those relationships. In some ways, um, our moderator, General Assembly, Joe Kim, recently said that, you know, it's discipleship that includes evangelism, not evangelism that includes discipleship, you know, because the Great Commission is go into all the world and make disciples. Now that implies evangelism because you don't make disciples without it but it, it seems like you're building a relationship with someone and so that pre-evangelism work is actually you're already discipling them and at some point in time you've earned the right to be heard as young life used to say mm-hmm. and you have the opportunity to share the gospel with people and i've often found ron it's oftentimes when people are at a moment of crisis yeah they've lost a job or illness or something that's brought them to the point where they're facing something that's beyond themselves. And when you're facing something that's beyond yourself, you reach out to that which is beyond yourself and realize you can't save yourself. Oh, that's that's right. That's why a lot of us are having real su- success with the three circles. You know, the first circle is is God's perfect plan for creation, but the second circle is brokenness. Right. And I think what a lot of us are finding is that we go to brokenness first because that's the on- we, live in, we live in a broken world. Yeah, that's the on-ramp, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And so we're broken and that then leads us to the answer, which is Christ. Right, right. Well, man, I really appreciate your time today. Grateful that after all that God has poured into you through the years, particularly through the EPC, you could have chosen to not be as engaged as you are. But as I've mentioned to you before, not finding the word retirement in the Bible anywhere, you're still contributing at a high level in ways that matter. And I just really appreciate your investment, uh, your faithfulness, and now in this season, taking on this essential role of being a church health coordinator. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. appreciate the opportunity to continue to serve the EPC. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, my friends, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation today with Ron and I, and I hope it encourages you to stay engaged, to go the long haul. There's so many different ways in which the Lord can use you. And I'm encouraged by the fact that, you know, the three circles is a training that's available for children, for people who never would imagine they could ever share their faith with somebody else. This is a simple, straightforward, easy way that when the Holy Spirit opens up the door of opportunity in a relationship, God will use it to bring others to himself. And I forgot to tell you this, Ron, in closing, um, we actually, in our annual church reports, which I know is a yawner for most people, digging through the data of that, I can't tell you what it was a couple of years ago because our, our methods of keeping data prior COVID are a little different than they are today. But um, last year alone, and that's this is all 16 presbyteries combined, we had 2,800 wow. first-time professions of faith. So I think, as C.S. Lewis has said, Aslan is on the move. If you want to learn how to share uh, your faith with others, please go to our website at epc.org and check out under the resources section our evangelism materials there, including the EPC's three circles. And you could reach out to your church health coordinator and your presbytery. Those are listed on our websites. You could go to the Presbytery of Gulf South. Ron's information will be there, and they'd be happy to help connect you and do a training in your church so that your whole congregation can turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. 
Well, my friends, that is uh, wrapping up another episode of our time together in this way. And we pray that it's been a blessing to you and that you might be a blessing to others by sharing it on social or uh, sharing it with your elders, friends, family members, uh, whoever it might be. We are a, a low budget uh, group here and uh, we exist largely by word of mouth. So if you could spread that around and spread the good news, that would be a gift to us as well. So until the next time in which we uh, meet together in this venue, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, that is our Lord Jesus, all things hold together, my friends, for you see he is the head of the body, the church. Until the next time when we gather in this venue, in the name of our Lord Jesus, and on behalf of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of the entire team, please join us for our next episode. For more information about the EPC, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.